0: Welcome to episode 462 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a wonderful conversation with novelist, poet, and founder of Paper Cut Press, Maggie Craig. We talk with Maggie about environmental journalism changing people's view of the world, queer issues, the publishing industry, running away from a life of servitude, steampunk, what turf means, J.K. Rowling's take on transgendered folk, and meeting an artist in a cafe in Brooklyn, among other things. A wonderful conversation with Maggie Craig this go-round. We have an EW essay titled Aquifer and we share the fourth installment of our associate producer Dr. Michael Pavis's radio play series Watch the Ice. This one's called Mulligan's Story and is performed by actor extraordinaire Dominic Azzarelli. We also have a poem called spectacle. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 462 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. can one say about a despot, a lamb chop, a divine doll of his day, the fury into the fray? He learned little good from Judo, a mean little boy turned deeply cruel as he sets the rules and works to vanquish the natural joy and virtue of the sapiens' species. What do the Russians think as one of theirs continues to push this place in space toward the brink? And I wash the breakfast plates and cups in the old, white, and stained, thick plastic sink. The drain is filled with soggy blueberries. My slim, long fingers stir around, up and down, to clean and open the passageway for the water out of the faucet, from pipes inside the walls, ceiling, and floor, pumped up from the ground out of the village aquifer. I saw Dmitri smoking a cigarette on Penn Avenue a few nights back. I pulled into a diagonal parking space somewhat perpendicular to the road's traffic flow. My vehicle's headlights shined on him. He turned away from me, sideways, toward the building he and his partner purchased a couple of years back. They have a business. They refurbished the handsome, dignified structure designed and erected in the early 20th century. I was there waiting for my children to come out of the building next door. They study ballet there, and are preparing for their company's spring recital. The days are getting longer, and the sunlight is growing stronger, and we are thinking of bringing home another dog. Maggie Craig.
1: Yeah, can you hear me okay?
0: Oh yeah, I hear you fine. Good. Thank you for being on Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Before we get started, let me share a little background information with our listeners. Maggie Craig is the founder of Papercut Press and author of The Narrows and Symmetra. Papercut Press is a small publishing company that operates outside of the traditional publishing industry, opting not to use corporate book distributors or sell its books on Amazon. Maggie's writing uses the genre of fantasy Mm -hmm. literature to explore environmental and social justice issues through the lives of queer characters. It is a pleasure to have Maggie Craig on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, so, how's everything going today?
1: Good. It's actually pretty warm out today. It feels like spring is on its way here in northeastern PA.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful day. And, uh, you know, though, this time of year, it could be fifty one day and you get a foot of snow the next, right?
1: Absolutely. It's <laughs> such a tease. <laughs>
0: um, so, let's, let's start from the beginning, I guess we can say. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, so I grew up here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and um, I went to New York University and majored in journalism and environmental studies. Um, And then as I was about to graduate, I kind of had this realization that, and this was like back in 2010, that a lot of great environmental journalism was already being written, and a lot of people just like weren't listening to it or weren't engaging with it. And at that same time, I'd always been um, doing creative writing kind of for fun or for just to not be bored. And I figured that like what really needed to change in order to have um, an environmental impact in the world or what I could contribute to the most was to change how people saw the world. And I think the, the best way to do that is through art. And so I happened to be working on this novel as I was taking all these classes um, and getting my degrees and decided to, to yeah, just go all in and focus on um, completing the novel and sharing these kind of like environmental insights that way. And at the same time, I was... I was also coming out. And so, um, that my, my own kind of uh, journey with discovering my sexuality made its way into the story. And, um, I started writing a lot about queer issues and then, um, writing in a way that explored gender more. Um, and so I published the, my first book, The Narrows in 2011. Um, and decided to self-publish it um, and that's that's kind of a, a decision at that time I think it, it made a lot of sense for me and the next 10 years were just pretty much working on the sequel um, building paper cut press that was the press I started to publish the narrows uh, meeting a lot of cool people I like drove around the country a bunch of times to get my book into bookstores so it's been a a fun and wild ride, Um, and Symmetra just came out this past December. Yeah, so it took a long time to finish the sequel, but um, here we are.
0: So Symmetra is a sequel to The Narrows, and about, what, 10 years or so between the two? Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, it took a lot longer than I thought it would to finish it, but um, I think it's, you know... Kind of taking this path of independent publishing and indie writing, there's a lot of other or maybe like writing in general this is this is true for it. there's you know you still have to have a full-time job and and I was publishing other books too in the in the interim. Um, and I think honestly there's just maybe some lessons I needed to learn myself before I could finish the book, looking back on it now. Hopefully the next one doesn't take that long.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I guess it'll it'll uh, sort of define itself, right? That time yeah. sl- that time period. Uh, I'm sure you don't want to force things. It's it's a, it's a balance, I guess, right? As a as an artist, you want to produce, but you have to be inspired, and you have to be genuine. And
1: it- yeah, and I think I think like having. Um... Especially with with independent or self-publishing too, feeling like it's been through enough edits and revision, to um, be ready to put out into the world because no one else is really is really telling you other than you know friends or editors giving their that you've hired giving their opinions.
0: Well, let's. I mean, uh, do you mind talking a bit about some of the characters or themes of of both the Narrows and uh, Symmetra without giving away too much so the reader is just. Teased a bit.
1: Sure, I'd love to. Um it so The Narrows and Symmetra follows the journey of Sam. Well, her name is Symmetra, so the second book is named after the main character. Um and the first book follows her kind of um you know, the the typical fantasy story of running away from a life of servitude and and going on adventures and discovering a greater world, but her story in particular is also um, a coming out story too. And she, so she meets all of these really interesting people. Um, and I think the the question that all of the characters are grappling with in different ways is, like, once you realize the world isn't a perfect place, that there's things that that you think are wrong with the world, then what do you do about it? And even once you realize there's, it's so hard to affect change, then what do you do about it? And I think, um, yeah, and that, so the, in this setting of an unfamiliar world or a a completely made up world, I think it becomes easier to explore social issues in our own world and what roots, um, I think the the biggest feeling of the familiar you'll find in my writing is is in the characters. Like they face real life issues, like having a crush who doesn't like you back, for example.
0: Yeah, I've never experienced that. What are you talking? about?
1: Never. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and um, you know, you're a relatively young uh, person, young writer. Uh, what what kind of influences do you do you feel or do you have you recognized? Uh, you 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 have in in your 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 uh sense of how how to how to be a writer and what to talk about
1: Absolutely. Um I totally love Ursula K Le Guin and she has have you seen her uh, her speech it was in 2014 when she won um the National Book Foundation medal. It was like a lifetime achievement award.
0: No, I didn't
1: it's, I watch it a few times a year, if not even more than that, because I find it so inspiring. And she, so Ursula Le Guin is a sci-fi author who was, she started writing in the 60s. And um, yeah, she has a lot of really different, great books, probably most, she's like the most well known for The Left Hand of Darkness, uh, which is explore, it explores gender issues and was published in the 60s, so she was way ahead of her time. And also being a woman writer, writing sci-fi at that time, and the way that sci-fi was looked down on as genre fiction, which I think is changing now. Um, So I think she had all these challenges that she faced as a writer. And in this speech uh, back in 2014, she talks about – she was so cool. She gets up in front of all these publishers and editors and kind of calls them out for turning literature into a commodity. Mm -hmm. And she has like this famous um, line that you'll find on T-shirts sometimes. And she's saying, you know, we need writers. You stand up to this. You treat writing as an art, not as something to be sold. And then she like acknowledges we live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. But so did the divine right of kings. Mm-hmm. So, And I think, yeah, that's kind of um, it captures a lot of what I hope to affect with my work anyway.
0: Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. I love it. I love where you're going and I love what inspires you. It's inspiring to hear it. Uh, so thanks, Maggie. <laughs> Maggie Craig here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. And, uh, you know, you mentioned genres. You mentioned science mm-hmm. fiction. Do, do, would you? How would you um, identify the, the genre you write in?
1: So I say it's technically high fantasy because it's it's set in another world that's completely made up, and the magic system is like my definition. The way I distinguish fantasy from sci-fi is sci-fi uses um, technology or projected future to create a kind of speculative fiction, whereas fantasy draws on on mythology and archetypes. It's, so it's more like inward looking. Whereas sci-fi can be outward looking, mm-hmm. and so I would consider myself to be a a fantasy writer with elements of sci-fi and even steampunk.
0: What was the last phrase? Steampunk. Steampunk. I I, I have to say I'm ignorant to that. What is that? Can you tell me a bit about that?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like um, the easy definition of it is the future and the past, and so it's uh it's a. It's very aesthetically driven. So think about like Victorian era, um, gadgets, brown leather, um, like Wild Wild West. That movie could be considered steampunk, Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: maybe like a little Sherlock Holmes type feel. Uh, So I didn't even know. I, I was describing the Narrows to a friend of mine and they were like, oh, that's totally a steampunk book. And so I had to Google it and... Saw all these images of like different steampunk things. I was like, "Oh yeah, it kind of is."
0: Is that associated with like you know the Stooges and the Ramones and the whole punk scene out of uh, uh, New York City as well as uh, California? Is, is it or is it totally different meaning?
1: So it's totally different, but I. Um... I, I like totally draw from punk influences myself. So let's put the punk back in steampunk. That's what I say. Why not?
0: <laughs> Why not? Yeah. yeah. That could be an innovation of yours, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to uh, Legs McNeil a couple of weeks ago for the radio show, as well as, sweet. Uh, oh, yeah. He's awesome to talk with. He, he's fun. And um, I don't know if you ever heard of Sonic Youth. Uh, Oh, yeah. Of course, I thought I'm sorry to insult even asking you that. (laughs) But uh, I had their drummer on Bob Burt recently these guys are just they're They're icons to me and their attitudes, uh, you know, important in our society. You know, you mentioned art um, being an artist and social justice. And I think from my experience, artists by nature, not all, of course, but many artists by nature, are in some way seeking truth seeking justice and are not easily just capitulating to the the norm you know or the man or whatever you want to call it would you agree
1: I think so well yeah at least for for like myself and the artists i know that's very much true um and i think everyone finds a different way to walk that path it just it gets maybe i don't know maybe it gets difficult to stay on it
0: Mm. you know yeah because it's not economically you know beneficial exactly (laughs) (laughs) And yeah so go go ahead no no you
1: i was gonna say for example that just makes me think of like um my kind of commitment to not sell my books on amazon like i can make i know i can make more money or and generate more of an income if I sold my books on Amazon or I mean often people will say you should you should sell your books on Amazon or why aren't they on Amazon and it just um I'd rather have I don't think I could write a book that criticizes corporations and corporate takeover and then sell it on Amazon and and feel okay about that but I could understand why some writers and independent writers and self-published writers especially would take that avenue.
0: Yeah, uh, yes, I, I could too. And, you know, it's it's hard. I don't think any of us um, are, are not, uh, is not a walking contradiction and mm. a hypocrite. <laughs> you know, I think. Yeah, you're right. We try not to be, uh, but it's like the system in a lot of cases and human nature is designed in a way to m- makes it very difficult. Uh, so you have to be amazingly strong, almost somewhat like defective, defective in your thinking <laughs> to sustain it, I, I think. Uh, and I don't mean that as an insult. I, I, I think you know normal people do normal things and and what's normal is what you see everybody else doing, right? That's the, that, that's the definition yeah. of normal. doesn't mean it's right. Um, so it's hard not to sell your books on Amazon if you want to pay your bills. It's amazing Mm -hmm. that you're able to do that. I guess, do you have side work or uh, maybe you have a trust fund? (laughs) I wish.
1: (laughs) Uh, Right now, I, yeah, well, here's the thing. I've always had side work, but like the jobs I've had have always been so interesting that um, I kind of see it as a gift for my writing. But right now I've been bartending Um, for about the past two years. I've been bartending and it's just such an insight into human nature and i've gotten such good stories
0: oh yeah I'm
1: i love sure.
0: it <laughs> sure and, and you're bartending uh in in scranton
1: yeah up in the hill section at karate's on ash it's
0: a really cool bar oh yeah that's probably where you met our associate producer dr pavis and that's how you got on the show right because that's like, right yeah <laughs> excellent find he it's his drinking serves us well all right <laughs> uh yeah it's um it, that's a nice place and i I could definitely understand what you're saying about um, a wealth of material just hanging out mm-hmm. and talking and listening to folks um, now we we mentioned social change and and literature uh, as maybe a means to to affect social change. do you how 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 could it do so?
1: I think it's through literature we're able to imagine different ways of living and then share those imagined ways of living with other people where maybe you would even just put a seed in someone's mind that might shift their perspective. Um, and I think that happens a lot in nonfiction, obviously, but with fiction too, I think it can happen in a more subtle way where you might understand someone who's different than you are better or dream about living in a different way.
0: Do you hope that I'm sure you uh, you would love if the Narrows, Symmetra, or a book that's yet to come would do that for a person.
1: Well, you know what I think. So um, for the Narrows, the after my mo- so my mom is like my number one fan. She's read my book so many times. She reads every draft she helps mail them out for me when I travel. She's awesome. Um, but after she read the narrows, she said to me that, um, it helped her understand how being gay wasn't a choice. And I think that alone, if like no one else gets anything from it, but my mom can get that from it, then I think that's in my book, a huge success, a huge success. Yeah.
0: For sure. For sure. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I'm um i curious as to how—well, uh, first of all, I'm assuming you probably didn't watch the uh, State of the Union address yesterday.
1: Oh, I was working, so it was on TV, but I only saw—we um, had the—it was, like, captioned, so I got little clips of it.
0: Did you hear or, uh, or read the, the point in that speech where uh, President Biden said that uh, he always had transgendered uh, people's backs—
1: No, I didn't. But that's awesome. He
0: made that statement. Yeah. Is is that? Wow. Yeah, that's pretty. I think um, I'm proud of that. Our president would say something like that. Is that is that I mean, it's not enough, but it's something, right? Oh, yeah. We have to take whatever
1: progress we can get. Well, and also remember back when Joe Biden was running as Obama's vice president, I'm pretty sure he said something about supporting gay marriage that then forced obama to state his own position on it.
0: Yeah, I remember. And so,
1: that. yeah, yeah, so I'm not surprised to hear that uh, president biden is making a point to to vocalize his support. I think that's awesome, especially with like the kind of pushback we're seeing in other areas of politics.
0: Yeah. You know. Oh my god, you know, Republicans, let's just say what it is, all across the country, yeah. you're trying to make it difficult for all kinds of folks. Uh, and as well as transgendered, uh, our fellow uh, transgendered citizens drafting laws at the state level that are just heinous. Yeah. So I hear you. It, it's it's kind of troubling. You know, you feel I'm a heterosexual male, so I, I don't experience things like you do as uh, a gay woman. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: But nonetheless, you know, I, I, I do get excited when I, I hear, hear and see positive Uh, movements and and uh, mentalities developing. But it seems like there's always that group that and it's a significant number who who won't go there. What, what, What do you think it is? Do you have any sense of it? Like I have some my ideas. I'm wondering what your ideas are.
1: You mean the people who keep pushing back to kind of keep things the way they are to be like honestly ignorant?
0: Yeah, like they just focus too much on things that really are none of their business, you know, and, and yeah, mm-hmm. can't let go of these these preoccupations.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I think it could if you're giving people the benefit of the doubt, I think it could be a lack of understanding and and maybe a lack of initiative to try to understand um people who are different than they are. And that's really a shame. Um because you would hope if someone didn't understand something, they would still just let people be. But I think politics are so divisive right now that wherever, um, wherever a certain party can find an inroad to make people feel fear, they'll they'll just take advantage of it and kind of um, spread like spread things that just aren't true. I think another thing is maybe like there's so much language that's changing and different language we use around gender specifically that there's a lot of miscommunication and things are just happening so quickly that, um, yeah, I think it's heartening and everyone else is just going to have to catch up to it because, I I don't know, I think it's here to stay. Yeah, you know, Like. The unfortunate thing is, like, trans women in particular, and especially trans women of color, are still constantly, um, like, murdered, honestly. And and you still have, um, you know, people who have platforms kind of speaking out against them. It's such a shame.
0: Uh, I mean, against who they are as people. not as, yeah,
1: I, yeah, yeah, I think the obvious example, especially like someone who writes within the fantasy genre is is j k. Rowling.
0: and And she is she she writes negatively about uh, people that are gay or transgendered,
1: specifically, what? specifically um trans people. she'll she'll I think it's mostly through Twitter um lately. That she'll, like, why is she tweeting things that are are making life harder for trans people? That's I like didn't just, know that I didn't know. Yeah,
0: that. wow, that's disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm glad you shared it with me. That that's good. People should know that. I'm, uh, wow, J.K. Rowling mm-hmm. is is a bigot.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the the technical term is a turf trans exclusionary radical feminist.
0: TERF, you're teaching me a lot. There you go. (laughs) Say that one more time. I'm writing it down.
1: So T-E-R-F.
0: Yep.
1: And it's a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. So it's someone who proclaims to be a feminist but doesn't believe trans women are really women. Right. Or trans men are really men or non-binary people exist at all, to put it in a nutshell. Yeah.
0: Yeah. TERF. All right. Thanks for the terminology. Steampunk turf. I've learned two great things talking with Maggie (laughs) Craig today. Uh, I appreciate it. Now, we only have several minutes, believe it or not, left uh, this go-around. But I'd like to give you an opportunity to uh, tell us a bit about how exciting, how challenging it is to run an independent press, especially outside of traditional publishing and uh, some upcoming projects that you have. And you could also share with people how they might keep track of what you're doing
1: yeah so I I think one of the great things about running a press is the people you get to meet and work with along the way. So I have to give a huge shout out to Nim Ben Ruven. He's the the guy the artist who's who has done the covers for the Narrows and Sumetra. and I think a big way I was able to get the books into bookstores and to have them get traction is because they're so beautiful looking and that's all NIM. Um, We, we met in a cafe in Brooklyn. It was just like, we happened to be working next to each other all the time and and connected. So um, yeah, like any kind of connection that's open to, to you on this, this kind, I guess like in writing in general, but especially independent publishing and that it's exciting to, to just get to have complete creative control over over a work. I think that's like a really special thing. And um, it's really it's the marketing part is difficult. Like, I kind of hate Instagram, but um, Papercut Press has an Instagram and I run it. It's still going. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. I would say independent publishing is a good choice for anyone who likes to figure things out and do a lot of different things and is, is also pretty extroverted. Um, and yeah, that I've been working on, um, I, I did an audio book for the Narrows. So I'm going to record an audio book for Symmetra. So that's exciting. I think making independently published books more accessible and afford, and they're going to be free on, on all podcast streaming services. Um, So I'm really excited about doing that. That's kind of a different sort of thing for me. And then writing book three, you know, it's a series. Got to keep going.
0: Yeah. Do you have a title yet?
1: Hmm. I'm not sure. Usually I'll tell you this, like my titles usually come from other people. I haven't titled and even paper cut press came from um, a friend of mine, Magda Rockwall. She's a great
0: visual artist. So.
1: Uh, I steal the titles from others or will they give them happily.
0: <laughs> and if people want to, you know, again, follow what you're doing. Uh, oh, yeah. Instagram, you mentioned, even even though you don't like it.
1: <laughs> so it's at papercut.press on Instagram would be a great way to um, check out the books and see what else we're working on.
0: Excellent. And, you know, a, a thought came to me. Oftentimes, we have guests uh, who read uh, something, record it, and then we'll we'll share it uh, as part of an episode. So you should talk to Doctor Pavise next time he's getting <laughs> beers from you at uh, at the bar about doing that. I would love that. You have a great voice. And, oh, thanks. And I'd love to hear uh, you read some of your stuff or other people's stuff too. So if you're into it, please talk to Doctor Pavise and, and let's work that out.
1: Thank you. Yeah, this has been uh, this has been a really great time. I appreciate you. Um, inviting me on. Thanks again.
0: My pleasure. Take care, Maggie.
1: You too. Bye-bye.
3: Trim Mulligan, big fella, kind of surly until you get to know him. After that, he's kind of sweet, or at least not as surly. Well, he would sit at the bar with a large chip on his shoulder, and the slightest comment would set him off. An argument about a ball game, say, or which of the local news anchors was the prettiest. Or someone would run into the bar and say such and such about so and so, Mulligan would stand up, kick back his stool, and off he'd go, raring to fight someone. Everyone would scatter, and a few of us would try to calm him down. Mulligan would fuss and fume and chase the offender out the door of the bar. But before he could reach him, let alone land a punch, we'd hear his mother's voice come from out the window of the third-floor apartment house across the street from the bar. Get my cigarettes, you lazy bastard. Stop your lollygagging, Mulligan, and march your ass down to the store. You see, despite his reputation as a fighter, Mulligan never fought much because his mother would yell out the window and stop the fight before it started. Mulligan would yell back, Ah, ma! and sheepishly slink down to the corner store and buy a pack of Chesterfields and a couple lottery tickets. Mulligan would never cross his mother. No one from the neighborhood would either. Then as a rail and with a horrible hacking cough, feisty, that's what she was. Katie Mulligan was a feisty woman. Mulligan, she'd say, stop watching TV, get your lazy ass out of that chair and find a job. Mulligan hated working as much as he liked fighting. Mulligan, she'd moan, you're almost as lazy as your lazy ass father. And he was the laziest man in this sorry neighborhood. And that's saying something. Mulligan's dad, left years ago, went out for a pack of Chesterfields for Katie and never came back. He was very sensitive about his father, and that's how he became a fighter, or would-be fighter. On the playground, his classmates would chant, Where's your pa, Mulligan? You know how cruel kids can be. Well, eventually, the taunts stopped, and Mulligan found other reasons to get into fights one guy though by the name of malone kept at it every chance he got he would say hi's your pa mulligan and mulligan would leap off the bar stool and go after malone but malone was as quick and wiry as mulligan was slow and beefy and malone would dash out of the bar and run down the street cackling off to start trouble at another dive You might say that Malone was Mulligan's nemesis. At one time, Mulligan wanted to be a real fighter, a professional boxer. He watched old boxing movies on TV and saw himself as the young Brando on on the waterfront. You should have looked out for me, Charlie. I could have been a contender. He trained at the local gym for a while, but his mother put a stop to his dreams before the first fight. No son of mine is gonna be a punch drunk boxer. Get your lazy ass out of that out of that gym and go get a job. So Mulligan worked. When he had to, at a number of jobs. Truck driver for a produce company, fired for stealing carrots for Katie's stew. Night watchman, fired for sleeping on the job. Bouncer at the shady nightclub, fired for bouncing the owner's obnoxious son into the street. Then he ended up at the poultry plant, deboning chicken. I was a deboner once, and let me tell you, it's no better roses, or feathers for that matter. Mulligan didn't last long at the the production line. Just long enough to get into a few minor skirmishes with fellow deboners and to fall in love. And guess who the lucky girl was? Malone's sister, Mary Margaret Alice Malone. "'a shy gal who worked in the office of the poultry plant. "'Mulligan was sent to the office so many times "'that the fighter and his nemesis' sister struck up a friendship. "'By the time Mulligan was finally fired for an altercation "'with the fellow deboner, they were an item. "'Mulligan's mother, Katie, heaved a sigh of relief "'and welcomed Mary Morgan into their little family. "'What did Malone think of all this?' That's a story for another time. I gotta go. Watch the ice.
0: children play near the street sign all of the time at the corner of Washington and Vine. The masks finally off as adults understand the costs that come with staying stoned all of the time. Living free from it all, naturally connected and calmly enthralled, makes for a spectacle. Yet no one seems to recognize the brilliance because it is so real and simple. Abbott, episode 462 of Troubadours and Rock Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Maggie Craig, our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavese, actor extraordinaire, Dominic Azzarelli, and these musical artists, The Lonious Monk, Ben Harper, Benjamin Booker, Katie Topin, His Golden Messenger, Lanu, Branford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. And of course, I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with... This time, take care of yourself and others too.